show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about CVS completing its acquisition of Signify Health. Why is now a good time to revisit their $8 billion bet on home health? And how can we use this moment to develop a disruptor's mindset? I'll talk about that. Then we continue our theme of building up the consumer muscles within healthcare organizations by welcoming Kathleen Elmore from Engages. Kathleen shares where providers and health plans are succeeding when it comes to consumer-focused innovation and where they're struggling. She'll also call out the role of data as we assess how to engage with consumers. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. On March 29th, CVS announced that it has completed its acquisition of home health giant Signify Health. The deal was announced in September 2022, nearly seven months ago, at a value of approximately $8 billion, which is one of the biggest investments, if not the biggest, in home health to date. It's interesting to see how the home health game board has stayed in the spotlight during that time. A lot of disruptors are making their bets on the move from beds to bedrooms, including some familiar names. Village Medical at Home, part of the Village MD Walgreens conglomerate, is in full swing with the its network of clinicians making house calls. Best Buy has firmly planted its flag in the ground with its newest partnership with Atrium Health, the country's largest hospital at home provider, as well as their acquisition of current health's tech ecosystem and rolling out the Geek Squad to set it all up in your home. And now CVS is officially in the game with access to Signify Health's nationwide value-based network of more than 10,000 clinicians in all 50 states. As we've heard from recent guests on this show, including Village Medical's Dr. Thomas Cornwell and current health CEO Chris McGee, Health at Home is having a moment right now, though it's hardly a new frontier. Home-based primary care has been happening for decades, but value-based arrangements and full-risk contracting have given it a place in business models to finally operate as a net positive contributor. And the pie is growing. In February 2022, McKinsey stated that up to $265 billion worth of care services for Medicare fee-for-service and Medicare Advantage beneficiaries could shift to the home by 2025. Understanding where home health can fit among consumers' choices and the value propositions of those choices, it's important for anyone who's designing around consumers' jobs to be done. Because believe me, the job to be done is not going to the hospital. It's feeling better. As more options become available, more patients will give it a try. Innovators get that. Status quo thinkers, on the other hand, see the current state, and in their typical way of ignoring what's possible, will say that it isn't worth the effort. Just like they said we'd never get digital health off the ground, or value-based care, or anything that's truly good for consumers and clinicians. 
Home health presents greater opportunities to meet many basic needs such as comfort, familiarity, and reduced anxiety. I say ignore it at your own risk. But for consumer-minded changemakers, it's important to learn more about this area, including who the major players are, what they offer, and how their services can meet consumers' needs that aren't typically met in a hospital setting. It also reemphasizes that a hospital-centric lens isn't always the best way to look at experiences. This makes many people uncomfortable, while I admit it gets me pretty excited. And I think that's what a lot of healthcare is still scared to do when it comes to designing consumer-first experiences. Many are still trying to reimagine experiences within such a tiny box that the benefits will be minimized. As always, I'm not trying to pit one side versus the other. I'm trying to open your mindset to the possibility of how offering healthcare in a setting other than a hospital or doctor's office can meet consumers' needs. And that if you limit yourself to thinking that care has to happen in one setting or another, you limit the possibilities. Let's pay attention to home health, if for no other reason, so that it teaches us a disruptor mindset. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. The Flow. The Flow. The Flow. Alright everyone, let's get into the Flow. Give it up for Kathleen Elmore. Kathleen is the co-founder and managing partner at Engages. They're the leading healthcare consumer engagement consulting and research firm. We're really excited to have her on the program. Welcome, Kathleen, to the Healthcare Wrap. Oh, thank you so much, Jared. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, let's start off with what did I miss in your bio? What, what else would you like our listeners to know about you and your background? Sure. So I started my uh, career ages ago at companies like Procter & Gamble and General Mills. So I've been doing driving consumer behavior change for my entire career. Unlike healthcare, I used to say that I was getting you to eat when you weren't hungry and buy things you didn't need. And so I was thrilled to come to healthcare in 2005 and start using all those same methodologies, behavioral science, data, A-B testing to get you to do good things instead of just purchase. That's amazing. What about career-wise? This sounds like, like quite a path here. What's one of the best pieces of career advice you've received? Sure. I had an early, early mentor who said to me, if you find purpose, it'll never feel like work. And frankly, when I came into healthcare, that's what shifted for me. I feel great and excited about every day trying to help healthcare organizations drive consumer behavior change toward better health and lower costs. Very nice. I imagine that served you well, as like you said, prior to coming to healthcare and then and then since coming into healthcare. What's been one of the main differences? You've, you've been in it quite a you know for a while now. One of the differences from coming outside of healthcare to coming into it. Sure. Um, when I first came into healthcare again, two thousand five, consumer engagement was but a whisper, and even when the ACA passed. It was still kind of baby steps. What's exciting now is the entire industry really understands that in order to become a trusted partner in health, in order to drive the consumer behavior change to lower costs and better health, we need to really become consumer-centric organizations like the Amazons and the Googles of the world. And frankly, you know, there's giants at the gate. They're all trying to get into healthcare as well. And so the transformation has accelerated significantly in just the last five years. And it's exciting to see because we're seeing some real wins happening across the marketplace. What, what types of organizations, if you don't mind me asking, are are those types of wins happening in? Is it with a traditional 
you know, healthcare delivery, a health system, a hospital, a provider organization? Is it with payers? Where are you seeing those wins? So our clients range from the biggest payers in the country to small regional plans to blues. We have a quite a few, actually many health tech organizations. I like to say just because you build it doesn't mean consumers come. And so they need engagement. We work with health systems. We work with PBMs. Basically, you know, everybody right now needs consumers to take greater steps in driving their own health. And so there's a piece of consumer engagement in all of those organizations that is a really critical part, how they you know manage their business. That's great because what I observe is that we all need to understand what's happening with other organizations because there's a lot of social proof that's needed in healthcare, rightfully so. I mean, it's an evidence-based science, you know, field to begin with. And we don't want to just be following everything out there. So social proof is very helpful, though, is what I've seen. It's a catalyst often with new things, with innovations. And so when we're able to see, oh, yeah, look what look what so-and-so is doing. <laughs> look at their wins. You know, the, look what they've been able to do. There's just that extra level of the ability to, to help accelerate a conversation or accelerate innovation is what I've seen. Let's start in terms of like almost like a state of the state, right? So we're talking about consumer-centered design and consumer-focused innovation. What are, what are healthcare organizations in general, what are they doing well and where are they struggling? Well, there's an, uh, there's an expression that if you've seen, you know, one health plan, you've seen one health plan. <laughs> and of course, health tech is also different. Health systems are different. So I'll say across the board, what's really exciting is that they're all trying. They're all paying attention. We have an engages healthcare engagement maturity model and kind of the steps that you take to go through that. If I map all my clients across those steps, they're all approaching it in very different ways. Some are building a real consumer C360 in order to understand all of the history of interactions they have with consumers. Other ones are building governance, so they stop bombarding consumers with just one-off communications. Others are blowing up their engagement processes to you know, go from waterfall to really agile so they can take much more rapid experimentation process, you know, process similar to what <laughs> Amazon and the Googles of the world do to really uncover those nuggets that drive behavior change. So they're all coming at it a very different way and they're all seeing wins in the, the ways that they're going about it. Now, none of them are there yet, but I'm happy that they're all embarking on the journey. I bet. Well, are there areas that are particular are more of a struggle where it's just like you're even just talking about like the engagement side are there parts of engagement that are easier than others yes the i mean so many things are a challenge but one of the biggest challenges is really how to personalize an interaction to a specific consumer and you take this for granted in the rest of the consumer world right you go to netflix they know exactly where you left off on that last show they know from your history what you like and what recommendations to make. They know what your kids like. So, you know, that personalization is just, it's no longer expected by consumers. It's demanded. And if they don't get it, they vote with their feet or they're dissatisfied. And so for healthcare organizations to personalize, the data is in so many different places across the ecosystem. And if you're dealing with fragmented data, you're not getting the whole picture. And one of the things that makes me crazy, Jared, is this, you've probably heard that expression that says, 
hey, you may be covered. And as a consumer, if you're getting that letter that says you may be covered from your health plan, the first thing you think of is, wait, if you don't know if I'm covered, who does? (laughs) You're my health plan. So the idea that we should be able to say, Jared, you are covered. This is how many you have left, or this is what your latest readings were. Here's where you need to go next, right? This idea of next best action. Part of what's holding us back from that is this siloed, fragmented data and fragmented ecosystem. So lots of work being done there to try to personalize. And um, I'll give you a fun example from my past life of just how profound personalization can be. So for 10 years now, I speak it or more than that, but in the last 10 years, I've asked at conferences that I've been at, how many of you are personalizing your communications? And you'd get a spattering of hands now We get a few more hands, but still kind of early in its infancy. 30 years ago, I worked for Gillette. It was the year that they were launching the men's sensor Excel. Wildly successful, flew off the shelves. It's, you know, rotating heads and four spring-loaded blades. And they sat back and high-fived each other while the cash register rang, because as everyone knows, Gillette makes their money in the blades. So the next year, some brilliant marketer in the ivory tower said, let's do this for women. So to be fair, it was the first time they didn't just slap a razor pink and call it female. They actually, you know, studied the contours, the legs, yada, yada. And so they launched it to big fanfare, wildly successful razors flew off the shelves. They sat back and waited for the blade sales. The blade sales never came. So they all scratched their heads and did surveys and women said, well, I didn't need them. Not helpful. So they brought women into their secret, super secret shaving lab in South Boston to watch them shave. Super creepy, but good market research. It turns out when men cut themselves, they blame the blade, throw the blade away, and buy a new one. And when women cut themselves, they blame themselves. So there's never a reason to change your blade. So for Gillette, that was just a profound insight that, you know, for men versus women, sorry to use a binary example, but that was the 90s, they needed a completely different strategy. And so when you think about healthcare, right, not only... Do I have a very wide target market? At Cheerios, I had affluent moms with brand new babies. In health, so of course I could get the messages right. In healthcare, I have every walk of life, every demographic, age, income, people with social determinant barriers, you name it. And then not only do I have that wide demographic, but I need you to do 300 things. Before, I just needed you to buy Cheerios. I didn't even need you to eat Cheerios as long as you kept buying them. Here, I need you to pay your bills, stay loyal, get your screenings, you know, you name it. So of course, I can't possibly use a one-size-fits-all strategy. I need micro-segments. I need hyper-personalization. And we're just not there yet. And we're, we're working towards it. But again, this fragmented data, this, you know, refill data at at your local pharmacy, there's, you know, diabetes condition management data at the app that you've pulled down. There's your plan data, your system data. We've got to get that all in a way that can build off of each other, that can help nurture that consumer in their health. Absolutely. And you're right. There's a lot of progress that can be made by, by even identifying what types of data, encounter data, engagement data, is useful to help us understand people. That's just one of the reasons why designing consumer experiences, it tends not to be in the DNA of most healthcare organizations. I don't blame anyone for it. It's well understood. You know, the the business systems of of sick care in our country just weren't equipped around that. And that wasn't part of the ethos of society or business anyway then. So again, it's not trying to revise history or anything. It's just understanding how are we at the place we are now? And so that starts somewhere in terms of, well, if we don't want to be like that, 
How do we do that? We've got to figure out what to do in our organizations. And that starts, in my mind, with carving out people, talent, team members, human beings with the skills and competencies, giving them some space to develop it because it has to start somewhere. It's very similar to digital transformation. I, I use this analogy a lot. You know, the last, the last uh, 10 to 12 years, really the last 15 to 20, but especially the last 10 to 12 years, in my mind, we were building a foundation. That's what digital transformation was. We couldn't advance very much further with consumer design, consumer-driven experiences without having a digital foundation. Now that it's there, that has taken so long and it's not done yet, but we're at a good point now where we can start building on top of that. So that leads to the need to give us some space on an individual level and invite someone on our teams or someone from the outside to come in and say, like, we've got to develop some skills and some competencies here. We need to get this in our DNA. What do you think? What are some of those skills or competencies when you're just starting to build out this, this ability in your organization that, that are useful for someone to have? Sure. One of the biggest gaps I see is a lack of understanding of behavioral science. And so, again, you think about it, Jared, it's used I don't, want, I don't want to say on you because <laughs> that feels like you're an unwilling participant, but it's used to nurture you to take action in pretty much every other aspect of your life, right? I mean, the way streets are designed and stoplights and your Amazon purchases, all those kinds of things, it's so underutilized or not utilized at all in healthcare. And I'll give you some fun examples. So FOMO, fear of missing out. If a consumer says, no, I don't want to do something, we do a simple, are you sure? And as a consumer, you go, wait a minute, am I sure? Like, am I missing out on something? And then we pair a barrier-breaking message to your specific barrier, and it turns 30% of no's into yeses almost every time, whether it's med adherence, condition management enrollment, getting your well visit, you name it. Another really fun one is scarcity. So scarcity isn't as you know, widely used in healthcare because obviously we never run out of mammograms. We never run out of colorectal screenings. So we can't do the exploding offers like Amazon does. But something as simple as we're trying to get a home visit, we can say to the consumer, hey, we'd love to schedule that. They'll say, I'll call you back, but they never do. Instead, we say, hey, one of our best people is going to be in your neighborhood next week and I've got one opening left. Can I slot you in? Changes the whole conversation, right? And a lot of times people say to me, is this tricking consumers? And I say, absolutely not. You never want to do trick to consumers. But instead, you want it. Inertia is giant in healthcare, right? Because in, in the rest of the consumer world, I'm motivated to get that flat screen TV or buy those cool sneakers. But who wants to get a colorectal screening, right? So inertia is real. And so behavioral science helps you move a consumer through that inertia to take that action. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Consumer demands, disruptive technologies, and AI are shaping healthcare for years to come. On the Hello Healthcare podcast, we dive deep on these issues with leaders who are driving change. These stories will inspire you to create and demand a better future in healthcare. Learn more at hellohealthcare.com. And now, back to the show. That is a big piece, and it's not part of a marketing DNA, for instance. It's not part of a lot of digital teams that have created the architecture needed to connect data or create a, an experience on a you know a web property or an, an app or wherever it is. 
there are a lot of those pieces. That's definitely not a piece of that DNA. A lot of times, what else can we do to build? I mean, this is this is also like building muscles, right? What else can we do to build those consumer muscles? Sure. Well, I like that you talked about kind of the people in the process because, you know, at some of these organizations we work with, they have all the technology that they could ever need. I mean, they have, you know, marketing automation and engagement automation, automation, you know, in every pocket. And so it's really about kind of organizing themselves in a way that brings the different talented people with their different skill sets into a kind of more agile process so that they can start working together instead of working in silos, right? Because you might be the best data scientist, but if you don't have the people that are kind of next to you in copywriting to take what you're doing and kind of, you know, try a bunch of different things with consumers to see what's working, then it's, you know, it's wasted talent. And so we're kind of helping plans do that is to kind of break down the silos, bring these talents together, change the process so that it's not so kind of arduous and long. Instead, it's rapid, it's experimentation, it's A-B testing, because you know, what might work on you today, Jared, might change tomorrow after you've had a diagnosis. And so really keeping your finger on the pulse of your populations across the different actions you're trying to drive is a systematic kind of, you know, total process change from where folks are now. Well, process is a big part of it, isn't it? I think scale is always one of the challenges. Yeah, like it's like seeing seeing that momentum and sharing the stories of what is happening. That's one of the best ways for us to to keep that momentum going, it seems like. Absolutely. And we're seeing pockets and islands of excellence everywhere. You know, when you start this process, you can't help but realize quick wins. I'll give you a fun example. So we helped a, a medium-sized plan with a communications inventory. So we went around and we actually, you know, tracked with 26 different attributes all of the the engagement interactions they were doing across the organization. And we weren't even trying to rewrite, but we found this one letter for Osteo Women's, the women's screening. And we said, hey, can we rewrite that for you? And all we did, we knew that there's a key barrier that they weren't addressing. And so we said, hey, we're just going to put in here that the key barrier has to be addressed, which is if I'm a woman and you're asking to come into my home to do a screening, my first thought is, do I need to disrobe? And so we added into the letter and the call script, hey, and you don't even need to take your clothes off. And they ended up getting a 35% year over year increase in that one measure. And really the project was about taking inventory. So there's you know, just quick wins anytime you start this process, no matter where you attack it, whether it's data, technology, process, you know, the actual message itself, you're going to find that you improve results. That's amazing. The There's a lot of low-hanging fruit, it sounds like. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> Are there other success stories that come to mind just about co-designing a consumer experience? So that The example you just gave was one that almost sounded like it, it was such a low-hanging fruit. It happened when there wasn't even a focus on that particular wording. You know, That wasn't the problem you were trying to solve. Are there other success stories out there where they've seen? Yes. We redesign experiences for them all the time, and we sometimes do it kind of on a, a very foundational level where we're you know standing at how the data interacts with each other, or we're doing it kind of like right at the consumer level, which is what the message of the letter or the call or, you know, the interaction says. And so that we were helping a or an organization that was helping Medicaid plans get folks who deserved it to be enrolled in SSI benefits. So a giant win-win all the way around, right? Because helping consumers that didn't know that they were eligible for their disability, you know, get benefits that were coming to them. And so their original communication had exclamation points and color and photos. And 
they were getting kind of a low response rate. And I said, well, if someone's trying to give you money and you have to put an exclamation point on it right away, I'm like, what's the catch? You know, if you're selling me the fact that I have money, there's something wrong here. So I like to say that we stripped all the fun out of it, added a lot of behavioral science, and we ended up more than doubling their engagement, which equated to millions of people realizing the benefits that they had, which is, you know, so awesome for the folks that really needed it. So anyways, I have a million stories of improving results, little tiny things from just if you add a a date in a top of a letter and you use a double window so that date shows through, even if it's not time sensitive, when a consumer sees a date on an outer envelope, they immediately think time sensitive and you're more likely to get them to open. So tons and tons of little nudges. There's no silver bullet. It's it's a, a game of inches, I like to say. But if you put all those inches together and you start to get real results. Absolutely. So who, who are the main stakeholders that you'd be working with in an organization? I'm just curious, you know, which teams tend to own this process? Sure. So if, if an organization has a CXO, that's perfect for us or a head of a consumer engagement. We work a lot with quality because obviously, you know, driving screenings, driving preventive care, all those kinds of things. We work with folks who have specific populations, heads of Medicare, heads of Medicaid, commercial, you name it. We work with service ops. You know, we we are kind of sometimes in the, you know, foundational elements really in that nitty gritty of how calls come into the call center and should they be transferred to a care rep instead if this is a consumer that's targeted for condition management. So we can kind of almost talk to anybody in an organization because it all does come down to consumer engagement, really. If, if you're in, a, in an organization that is driving consumer behavior change, it's like when Southwest used to talk about reducing lost luggage is everybody's responsibility. In any of these healthcare organizations, driving behavior change is everyone's responsibility, even if it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> Well, we're really talking about getting this into the DNA of a whole team then, and it's got to start somewhere. That's fantastic. I mean, what I've seen from that one question, one reason I asked that was I have seen that professionals who are involved, who are consumer-minded, right? This does feel like it starts with a mindset. There are muscles we need to build here, but there's also a mindset of, I understand the importance of this. I understand that it can lead to an improvement of the business outcomes that we're trying to reach, like you said, of whether that's an enrollment or, or increased screenings or whatever it is, that it starts with a mindset. And that doesn't always happen in the same department. It feels like people come from different titles. They, they come from different departments. How do you think we can bring that together as a community? How can we coalesce and, and build up this community? It sounds like part of it is communicating back and sharing these stories of success and who was involved and helping build the business case continually for it. Are there other ways we can coalesce and and just build up a community of professionals who are consumer-minded? Well, I do have all kinds of organizations that I belong to that, that I feel like I have partners in this goal of folks working on, you know, consumer engagement. But then within organizations themselves, we're doing things like setting up lessons libraries, We are baking insights into marketing automation because everyone individually are learning so many great lessons on this that unless we start compiling them, right, it's we're never going to go as fast as we want. So what's cool is we are seeing ways to bake these insights into the everyday processes so that you're not starting, you know, recreating the wheel every time you do this. You're actually building on what's been learned across your teams and across the enterprise. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, it's it's a continual work. It's going to take a lot of effort. I I know that, and so I, it's it's an exciting time right now. It feels like just to be involved here and to 
recognize that yeah we we could probably make some progress with a shared language and and bring together folks from different sides of the industry even more often i see a lot of momentum happening there it's great it's it's great for providers to hear from the payer's point of view especially because when you start designing around a consumer's needs not all those needs are expressed some of them are unexpressed <laughs> i mean that's that's amazon to the core right it's oh and even apple a lot in my life it's like oh, i didn't realize i needed that now i can't live without it like that that's future. right exactly well i yeah. think of it as like maslow's hierarchy of needs but if i apply it to engagement like we all want to delight the consumers but in order to kind of reach that tippy top of delight and fulfillment and self-awareness we just have to get the foundational elements right i used to consult to at&t wireless and they wanted to hire Mick Jagger for their commercials. And I was like, look, if we're still dropping calls, this was in early network days, you know, it doesn't matter who you hire, right? You've got to fix the basics before consumers will trust you. And so, you know, that's a lot of the work we're doing right now is to fix those foundational elements to start building that trust and predictability. Because in a service organization, your brand is really the sum of the cumulative sum of your interactions. And so those everyday interactions make or break whether the consumers trust you. So even if you have moments of delight, you still have to get the everyday interactions right. And I think... What's exciting is I think as an industry, we're really, really focused on that. And again, we're seeing some really great islands of excellence across the industry and moving towards that. That's so true. The example that came immediately to mind was on the provider side of when you read through patient reviews and ratings, for a majority of providers, the care is good. The experience is good. And whether it's at a level of delight or not, you know, it's still good care. People, for the most part, are treated well by providers. And that's not the part they remember about their experience. If the billing experience is really difficult and confusing and opaque, then it just it washes away all the good of the actual care that they had. And so it is so true that it's these everyday moments. And maybe that's why these things have flown under the radar for a while for some organizations, just because they're not used to thinking in, oh, wait, you really think that could make a difference? You know, we're used to a different approach to things in a lot of different organizations. And so I definitely see that. Well, I like to think about what the destination is. I like to think about what does all this get us? How can we improve? Like, what can we expect? So I guess it's more of like a reality check about all the consumer transformation that's happening in the industry. What progress do you think we can realistically expect in the short term and say like the next one to two years? Where do you hope this all gets us? I think we're on the cusp, you know, especially with, you know, the new standards coming around of being able to have data shared across the industry. I think we're on the cusp of really being able to to create and deliver on the promise of next best action. I think that term is used very widely and it has a lot of different meanings. But what I mean by it is really helping consumers take that next step that makes sense for them and is also the next easiest step to take, right? We were recognized by NCQA years ago for helping move the needle on colorectal screenings. But one of the reasons we were recognized is that we found in the data that there was all these people that hadn't even picked a primary or gotten a well visit. So asking them to go get the colorectal screening was like noise, right? We just needed them to, the people who hadn't picked the primary, pick the primary. The people that had picked it but hadn't got the well visit, get the well visit. For the next group of people, yes, then you could add all the behavioral science and get them to do the colorectal screening and all those other things. But it's that idea, and this cliche is overused, but meeting consumers where they are in their healthcare journey and being that trusted partner in health, we are absolutely on the cusp of that. Now, there's 
obviously so many other things that need to be solved in healthcare, but we are getting close to at least being able to be that for consumers. And then we have a lot of work to do on all the other levers in healthcare, like value-based care and the labor shortage and all those other things. But the data is getting to a place that I think we can really deliver on that personalization of, of that next next best action. Thank you so much. And with that, that's a wrap for this episode. I've been I've had the pleasure of speaking with Kathleen Elmore from Engages. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jared. I had a last. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again. 